Uh, so let's turn to John chapter 13. This is the first of uh, uh, our Easter services. We're going to be back here tomorrow at noon uh, Eastern time at 9 a.m. on Saturday and then the regular time 10 a.m. on Sunday. Um, we're going to try to keep tonight, tomorrow and Saturday under 45 minutes uh, to just sort of set the day apart to uh, hopefully be a means of encouragement of building up your most holy faith. And perhaps you're tuning in and you're not a Christian uh, and you have some interest uh, for, for whatever reason uh, in the message, I just wanna say I'm really glad that you're here. You, you can understand what I'm about to tell you and I pray that you could believe it. Um, and church, we just wanna say that uh, we love you. Uh, we miss being together. Uh, we have called, we have Zoomed, uh, we have texted, we have emailed. Uh, and uh, I know that uh, growth groups have been meeting uh, via Zoom. You've been praying for each other, taking care of each other. Uh, I have been just so encouraged by our church, been so encouraged uh, by, by all that God is doing. And so um, I just, um, as I look at this camera, as I, I've said today on the interview, I realize that I'm not looking at a camera. I'm, I'm envisioning my people. I'm envisioning our church, and I'm envisioning uh, those of you who are here who are outside the IDC family, and uh, you're most welcome tonight as we look at John 13, which is one of the greatest passages uh, in all of Scripture. Uh, some have called it the Holy of Holies or one of the, the Holy of Holies uh, in the New Testament. And I think if I could go back in time to any point in Jesus's ministry, um, this would probably be, you know, in my top five of moments uh, in which I would, I, would, I would love to be there. Uh, and so let me read verses 34 to 35, and then we're going to jump back up and work through uh, the chapter. Okay, so this is where we get that strange word, Monday, and uh, this is the, the evening in which Jesus was taking uh, the Last Supper with the disciples, in which he was uh, washing their feet uh, and out of that, he gives them this application, this exhortation. He is illustrated uh, in the washing of the feet and through his whole ministry, what he now says when he says these words. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's so incredibly simple, isn't it? We need God's help to do it, though. Let's pray together tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would open up our eyes to behold the beauty and wonder of this passage. I pray that as we gather uh, tonight in living rooms or kitchens or bedrooms or in an automobile, wherever we might be tonight, I pray that those who are tuning in would recognize the amazing grace of Jesus Christ, be captivated by him afresh, and be motivated to serve and love others as we have been loved by him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in um, John, John's gospel, there is a shift in focus uh, up to this point. Some of you may recall that we went through John not too long ago. Uh, and in chapter 13, the, the focus now turns uh, on the disciples. Uh, Jesus is preparing these future leaders uh, for this new messianic community that we now call uh, the church. Uh, and all of this instruction 
sorry, I was going to start my clock here. Uh, all of this instruction uh, is given within hours of his uh, death. All of it is in the shadow of the cross. It's Thursday, and Jesus will be crucified on Friday. Now, this material in John 13 is not found anywhere else uh, in the other Gospels. It's only found in John. And this, this foot washing scene really sets the whole tone for the farewell discourse, which is John 13 to 17. Uh, it, it marks out for us the humility of Jesus. Uh, it uh, is uh, pointing to the upcoming cross work of Jesus, of his cleansing of sinners, uh, and his call to follow him in service and love. Now, the, the foot washing that uh, takes place in chapter 13, uh, verses 1 and following, uh, was, uh, you know, a needed activity in the days of Jesus. Of course, we still need to wash our feet today. But what I mean by that is that there were, you know, no paved roads. Uh, animals uh, were on the roads, uh, people walking on those same roads. You would uh, be covered in mud and dirt and dung. You got your open-toed sandals on. And so you can think, you can imagine these, these nasty feet uh, as Jesus gathers these disciples in for this Last Supper. I mean, even guys today who take showers daily uh, recognize how stinky uh, feet can get. You know, that's why we have to invent things like fast-acting tenactin. Uh, <laughs> uh, feet are proof that all have fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, you know, I, I've heard ladies say a number of things about how they fell in love with their particular husband, but I've never heard, uh, and I, I don't know if anyone has ever said this, when you say... You know, what, what is it that drew you to uh, Michael? And, uh, you know, Alex uh, would say, well, it was his feet. You know, I just saw those feet and I thought to myself, I mean, I, I'm just, I could spend the rest of my life with those feet. You know, that, that would be a crazy thing to, to hear from a person. The last thing we want to do, the last thing I want to do is wash feet. But here is the King of glory who has come to earth the visible image of the invisible God who upholds the cosmos by the word of his power and he stoops to wash feet. It's really remarkable. And all of this is foreshadowing Jesus' greater display of humility, namely the cross. And I'd like to offer up for you tonight three simple encouragements from this passage. Number one, treasure his love. Number two, receive his cleansing. And number three, follow his example. Number one comes from verse one, where Jesus says, or John writes rather, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now every phrase here is sort of loaded, and, and I, I think this verse is, is kind of like a banner that flies over all that Jesus has done up to this point and all that he is about to do. Before the Passover feast, that is, this is a, a Passover meal, uh, the Last Supper. Uh, John doesn't give us the uh, details of the Last Supper like the other gospel writers do. Uh, John really explains more of the theology and meaning of that supper uh, than the ceremony itself. Um, but this is the time. Um, and during this, this time in Jesus' ministry, um, there are really two big themes that uh, 
begin to emerge. One is Judas's betrayal. Um, and you might couple with that Peter's denial. And then Luke tells us uh, that there was a dispute that night about who was the greatest, uh, triggering Jesus's uh, teaching on uh, being a servant. And John weaves these two themes together in the chapter. That is, uh, Jesus's death and cleansing here is, is symbolized, uh, and this call to servanthood is, is put forward. John tells us that the hour has now come. Uh, that is the time for the cross, resurrection, ascension. Jesus' great love will be demonstrated at this climactic hour. Our Passover lamb will be slain, and all who are under the blood will be spared. They'll be saved. John has been saying up throughout the gospel, he's been showing us the words of Jesus, as Jesus had been saying, my hour has not yet come, my hour has not yet come. And now John tells us this hour has come, and having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love this verse. Having loved his own. Jesus has loved them all the way up to this point. His own. Jesus has a particular love for his own. Jesus has a general love for the world, but Jesus has a particular love for his sheep, for his own. I am called as a Christian to love everyone, man and woman. I'm called to love my enemies, but I have a particular love for one Kimberly Marita. I have loved her out of all the other women in the world in a very unique way. And Jesus loves his own in a special way. And if you're a Christian, you should feel that love tonight, this Easter weekend. You should be able to say with great gratitude in your heart what Paul says in Galatians 2.20, that he loved me and gave himself for me. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Now, to the end of what? Well, to the end of his earthly life, yes, but I think it's beyond that, to the end of their lives and to the end of ends. That is, nothing will separate these disciples. Nothing will se uh, separate a Christian from the love of Jesus. Now, John chapters 1 to 12, the big themes have been light and life. And you see those pop up over and over again. And now in chapters 13 to 21, the word love appears 45 times. So we, we make a shift from light and life to love. All three are true and all three are in Jesus Christ. In him we have life. He is the light that comes into our darkness and in Jesus Christ is love. Jesus loves the Father, the Father loves him, Jesus loves his disciples, and the disciples are exhorted here to love one another. And John himself is so overwhelmed by the love of Christ that he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> He's so amazed by this idea that Jesus would love him that that's how he goes about uh, describing himself. I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. A knucklehead at times, yes. And so were all of these guys. By this we know love, John will tell us in another book, that he has laid down his life for us. Now further we see in this text that the verse mentions Judas. Jesus here is also showing a love for his enemy. Jesus will have dinner with Judas. He will wash the feet of Judas. Would you have Judas over for dinner? 
I don't think I'm having Judas over. Um, you know, maybe you put a, a, a laxative in his falafel or, or something like that. Or would you, would you stoop down to, to wash his feet? Or would you hit, his, hit him in the head with the basin? And yet Jesus here is totally aware of what's about to go down. He's completely aware of the cost of his love. And Jesus is committed to loving those around this table. He loved his own. He loved them to the end. So let's keep that in mind as we move to number two, receive his cleansing. Everything that you see in the rest of this text is one great big illustration of Jesus loving them, loving them to the end. Now, we see in verse two that this happened during supper. Hopefully you enjoyed supper tonight. Um, at one level, it's kind of gross to think about there's a foot washing and supper happening all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, you definitely need some hand sanitizer uh, going on in this place. Uh, it's like, as one writer said, like changing your oil and eating corn on the cob at the same time. Uh, washing feet and, uh, and having this supper. And he says here that when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, <clears throat> but afterwards you will understand. So let's just stop there for a moment. We see here that this whole uh, story is giving us an example of servanthood, yes, but it's also giving us uh, a very important word about cleansing, about cleansing. As Peter says in verse eight, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. So notice three things about this cleansing. First of all here, who it is that cleanses. And that's quite obvious. It's Jesus. Jesus, the, the betrayed one. Jesus, the exalted one. Verse 3 says, you know, something of his authority that he came from God and was going back to God. We see his, his divine origin. We see his future glory in those phrases. And it's really clear who it is that's to cleanse us by verse 8 where Jesus says, if I do not wash you, I don't, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. So only Jesus can do this cleansing. And if, you know, if you're not a Christian and you don't know a whole lot about Christianity, you might identify with this, this idea because every religion has some form of cleansing, some ritual bathing, uh, some holy steps, some ceremony that is supposed to provide cleansing. And the message of the gospel is we cannot get this guilt off of us by our own efforts. Only Jesus can cleanse us. Only Jesus can wash us. Uh, and the good news is Jesus is willing to wash us. He's, he's willing to, to cleanse us. 
And you see it as in uh, the second place of this cleansing, how Jesus will do this cleansing. So you say, well, if he is the one to cleanse me, he alone, how does he cleanse me? And this, this foot washing event is like a little parable of what Jesus did as he condescended to earth and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The language is strikingly familiar, uh, similar rather, to Philippians chapter 2. Notice how it says, he rose from supper. That is, he, he, he rose from his throne in glory to condescend to earth. He laid aside his garments, verse 4. That's like Paul saying, though he was in the very form of God, he, he emptied himself. He became nothing. Verse 4 also says he girded himself with a towel, taking the very form of a servant, Paul says in Philippians 2. He poured water into a basin and washed their feet. In a few hours, his blood would be poured out for the washing away of sin, even to the point of death, even death on a cross, Paul says. And then he resumes his place. We didn't read it, but there in verse 12, when he washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place. And that's the, the latter part of that great Philippians hymn, that he is now exalted. So this is how one receives cleansing. In Jesus Christ and Christ alone, and it's available because of what he did in laying aside glory and coming to earth. Jesus Christ still saves. He still cleanses. He still loves sinners. And even right now, after being exalted on high, he is interceding for us. Tonight, he is interceding for us. And he still provides a cleansing. Now, you always laugh at this story because it's a very intimate setting uh, until Peter shows up, right? And you, I can imagine, uh, you know, Jesus kind of going around the room washing feet, and then he gets to... Uh, to Peter, who says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And you're like, yeah, Columbo, have you not been paying attention? Like, this is what's going down. Uh, Peter is so skilled in the obvious. Uh, and he has, you know, like some of our kids maybe, no, no inner voice. He only has an outer voice. Uh, and so he says what's on his mind. And he says, Lord, what are you doing washing my feet? And Jesus says, what I am doing, you do not understand, but afterward, you will understand it. Now, in this moment, Jesus is obviously talking about the whole events that are about to happen. But I, I find a great encouragement in this little simple statement from Jesus. What I am doing now, you do not understand, but afterward, you will understand it. That's true of our Christian faith in so many ways when we do not know what the Lord is doing. And afterwards, and sometimes that afterward is not going to come until glory, that we will understand it. We will look back and see the master painter completing his portrait. Peter would understand it, but it would take some time. Peter protests uh, when Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And that would be a good time, you would think, for Peter not to say anything else. Um, but he comes back again and says, Lord, do not, uh, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Peter says even more strongly now, not in a million years. But you know what? If you're going to wash my feet, just give me the whole thing. Uh, just just uh, 
pour it all over me. Peter was a Baptist. He wanted, the, he wanted a full immersion experience, didn't he? Uh, and Jesus then gives us a really important clarifying word in verse 10 when he says, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except his feet. He is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. And who is that? Of course, that's Judas. You see, the disciples needed their feet washed. Judas needed a bath. He had never had a bath. And that means he had never really received Christ's grace. He had really not become a new creation. I think D.A. Carson nails it when he says, individuals who have been cleansed by Christ's atoning work will doubtless need to have subsequent sins washed away, but the fundamental cleansing can never be repeated. You know, I've quoted this before. It's like Luther who says, we receive God's grace uh, in three ways, once for all, again and again, and more and more. That once and for all cleansing is the bath here. That is putting your faith in Jesus. And if you've not had that fundamental cleansing, that once and for all cleansing, that's the message of Easter. You can be cleansed by Christ. And if you have had that once for all cleansing, we go to Christ every day, don't we? And we say, cleanse me again. And we receive it again and again and more and more. Judas only looked clean. And he was really good at faking it. And that's a great warning, I think, to those who may be around the things of Christ and may outwardly look like you've had the bath, but you really haven't. Judas' story reminds us that you can invest a lot of time and energy in a person, but they can still make a total shipwreck of their faith. I mean, Jesus spent a lot of time with Judas, three years. Judas heard the best Bible teaching that ever happened. That the best teacher who ever walked. Think about that. Like the reason you're 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 not believing isn't because of a of a lack of a teacher, Judas. You've got Jesus. There are wheat and tares. Jesus teaches us sheep and goats, and Judas faked it so well, no one even anticipated that it was Judas. You don't see anywhere in this story when Jesus says, "One of you will betray me," and everybody's saying, "Oh, it's Judas." We know. No, that, and that is a frightening thing. That's a sobering thing, isn't it? And later we see that Judas had an inordinate love for things that led to his destruction. Judas needed this fundamental cleansing, and so do we. And if we have it, we go to Jesus for this ongoing cleansing, and the good news is Jesus cleanses us. He's the one who cleanses us. He cleanses us in his humility and his grace, and we need it. Thirdly, there is the example of Jesus. Jesus resumes his place uh, after washing their feet, and he now proceeds to teach them. And so again, Jesus is the master teacher. He's just demonstrated humility. He's just demonstrated grace. And now he says, let's have a debrief. Let's have a teaching moment. Do you understand what I have done for you? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus is teacher and Lord. 
And he reminds them of his example here. As he says, if I have done this, the greater, then obviously you should do that. You should wash one another's feet. He reminds them here of the nature of Christian servanthood. He tells them in verse 15, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Some have made this through the years kind of a a church ordinance. I don't think that's uh, the intent. Uh, We don't see um, any other texts that tell us to do that uh, sort of thing. But the obligation to serve one another, to uh, care for one another, is, uh, is the point that Jesus is driving at that we would wash one another's feet, that he's given us this example. And he tells him in 16, Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, and I love this verse, blessed are you if you do them. And so this, this idea of loving and serving one another in a humble way is following the path of Jesus Christ, And if you're not a Christian, and maybe you're not a Christian because you have seen Christians not love one another, I want you to see this is Jesus' plan. This is Jesus' idea that we, we take this and we apply this and we become those kinds of servants. And Jesus says that we are blessed if we do these things. Now later, he says in verses 34 to 35, that this is how people will know you are my disciples. This is what the great Francis Schaeffer called the final apologetic. That is, love for one another is persuasive uh, to the watching world. It's an apologetic. And here Jesus says, in addition to serving one another in humility, that's not only an apologetic to the outside world, though it is. It tells the world that there's something unique about us, but it's also the pathway to blessing. Do you realize that? That you are blessed in your serving. It's not always, you know, it's not the motive necessarily that we're going out because we want to be blessed. No, we want to serve one another because we love them, because this is our uh, job as Christians, it's what we're being called to do. But it's in the serving, don't we find the blessing? This is what James writes about when he says, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And he says uh, in James chapter 1, verse uh, 25, uh, that we are to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, and you will be blessed in your doing. The blessing is in the doing. Now, the disciples got this eventually. And think about that today. We have hospitals and universities and cities and churches named after these disciples in this room. Jesus took a really roughneck group of guys and turned them into mighty servant leaders And he can do the same for all of us. Now, with that in mind, friends, Monday, Thursday, just a couple of reflections as we bring it to uh, a close. Four four quick Ps, okay? I see here a pattern. That is that we are to be servant leaders. If you're a leader, this is especially important. This is the way we are to lead. These words, by the way, sound a lot like 1 Peter 5 when he's talking about shepherds and he's talking about humility. The world has enough negative cynics, enough bullies, enough opportunistic ladder climbers. 
What it needs is humble servant leaders who love people deeply and sacrificially. This is leadership 101. Leadership is not lordship. Leadership is following Jesus and inviting others to come along and humbly serving them. That's the first PIC. This is a pattern for us. We are to reflect the character of Jesus. Guys, if you're watching and you're a husband, is this pattern present in your life? Teenage guy who is growing up, you're going to be on your own. You may ask someone to marry you. Is this the kind of life that you want to live? That you want to grow up and be a humble, godly man who loves and serves people? I pray you do. That second P is people. I just want to encourage you from this text to seize opportunities you have to serve Jesus and his people, even if that service seems small and insignificant. Everything we do in Jesus' name matters. So are there feet that you can wash, metaphorically? Are there people that you can serve? I know it's a strange time to be thinking about uh, serving people, and we're not supposed to get close to them. I mean, this is not very social distancing here in John 13, right? <laughs> but there are ways, and I know IDC, you have been doing that. You have been loving and serving each other in remarkable ways. Um, and for some people, this is, this is not what they think about when they think about Christianity. They think about Christianity as being, you know, sort of a philosophical study that happens in their mind. But our faith, though it does obviously involve our mind, we are to love God with our mind, our faith is intensely practical. It's about serving people. It's about how we treat people. And so let's not be people who go around arguing theology all the time but spend no time serving individuals. Don't just have a theology of humility. Don't just have a theology of serving people. Don't just have a theology of the church, but actually pursue humility. Actually serve people. Actually love your church. This is happening, and it happens week in and week out. You could look across the landscape at churches, and you would see so many unsung heroes. And many of you who are watching this right now. You're doing this day by day, and you're not putting all your stuff out there on social media for people to see it. But I want you to see that Jesus sees it. Jesus knows it, and it's not insignificant. The third P is privilege. I just want to remind you tonight that it is a privilege to serve Jesus. That we don't we don't read this text and think, "Oh, I have to go serve Jesus and people," but rather, I get to serve. I get to serve the one who has served me, who died for me. I get to serve his people, those that he has loved and will love to the very end. Do you realize tonight Christian, that we deserve to be in hell. We deserve judgment. We, what are we doing here? We're only here by the grace of Jesus Christ. We are not superior in our reasoning. We are not here because of our status in society. We're not here because we have a higher intellect. If we're a Christian, it's by grace and grace alone. It's by his mercy that we are here. And the people who feel this certain privilege that we don't deserve to be clean tonight, but our consciences are cleaned by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
then we say to Jesus, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I'm happy to serve you. Privilege. The fourth P is power. And I draw this from this great little text, 34 and 35, of the new commandment. Because you've got to ask yourself the question, what is new about a new commandment that says something so basic like love one another? Because after all, the Bible has said before, you know, in the Old Testament, that we are to love. But what makes it new here, I think, is a couple of things. One is, just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. Right? Jesus has given us now an example of love that's quite new. In his incarnation, Jesus has shown us what love looks like. But Jesus gives us more than example because we need more than example. If we just look at this text and say, Jesus says we got to love. Jesus has shown us to love. Now let's go love. We lack something still, namely power. And the new commandment comes with new power. The new commandment comes with a new covenant. A new covenant. That is a belief in Jesus. We have been changed from the inside out. He's given us a new heart. He's made us new creations. And so this text points us not only to the example of Jesus, but to the power that we need to do this. It is through our union with Jesus Christ, our belief in Jesus Christ, the one who died, rose, and ascended, and poured out his Holy Spirit on the church, that he gives us the power to love one another. So friends, tonight, let me just encourage you to treasure the Savior's love. Marvel at it. Rejoice in it. Feel it. Delight in it. Let me encourage you to receive his cleansing. The primary cleansing and the daily cleansings. Which one do you need tonight? Let him wash you. Let him wash you daily. And let me encourage you to follow his example. We'll have many opportunities, as strange as it might be in today's crisis, but surely the Lord will give us opportunities to serve individuals in Jesus' name. And let's remember, it is a privilege to serve Jesus, and we have power to do it. May God grant us grace. Amen. Father, we bless you. We thank you for your word tonight as we think about Jesus in that upper room with these disciples, preparing them for this messianic community called the church. What a savior we have who has demonstrated his love in the humble washing of their feet, in the giving of the ordinance of the supper, and most of all in it going to the cross and completing that mission that we'll think about tomorrow when he triumphantly declared, it is finished. Lord Jesus, we, your church tonight, just want to say we worship you. We say worthy is the lamb who was slain. You, you deserve our praise. You deserve glory. You deserve our lives. Who are we that you would think of us? Be, that you'd be mindful of us. Pray for my friends who may be watching this who may not yet be Christians. Lord Jesus, I pray you would be a holy magnet and you would draw them to yourself. They would be captivated by you. May they read the Bible for the first time in their life and may you open up their eyes to behold wonderful things out of it. 
May you bring them to faith, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.